Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. This past uh, Wednesday night, we finished up our study of the book of Esther. You remember that highlight of your Wednesday? Well, after you had had the fish and the shrimp and all the things that had gone with it beforehand, it was the highlight of your Wednesday probably. But we talked about how God in his sovereignty had worked to protect his people. And we worked through that book over several weeks, looking at how God intervened. And you'll mention, uh, or you'll remember that I mentioned that there was a feast, a celebration that was associated with the story of Esther. The feast of what some people will call Purim or Purim. It was a feast in which they would recognize what God had done. And sometimes what they would do, little children would dress up in costumes to celebrate that feast. Now think of that a moment. They would literally dress up in costumes. Why in the world would they do something like that? Why would they come dressed in order to celebrate the book of Esther? It was because they were reminding themselves and others that sometimes moments can be disguised. Moments may look as though they are difficult, that you're facing one of the most difficult things you could ever experience. And yet, it is disguised in the sense that God can take that difficult moment and he can work something good out of it. That's the reason they would wear costumes. That's the reason they would show up in their LSU cheerleading outfits. And the reason they would, they would remind folks that, th- that events and moments can seem to be disguised. And how many of us have had times like that in our own lives where we thought there was nothing that could come of it that would be good? I mean, we were going through it at that moment, the difficulty of it. We could see uh, the disheartening attitude that, that went along and we were thinking to ourselves, there's nothing that could come out of this that would be good. And yet that is God's theme throughout the scripture. God's theme throughout our lives is that he can take some of the most difficult moments and he can use them for good. When you look at Acts 9, I think it encapsulates that theme, that story. Acts chapter 9, in the beginning, if you remember we have this guy named Saul who is going to imprison Christians. I mean, when you look at this and you hear the opening verses of that chapter, you may begin to think to yourself, how could something good come out of this? I mean, how in the world could God intervene in such a way in Saul's life or in anybody else's life? It looks like like the odds are stacked against those early believers. And in only a matter of verses, we're reminded that God intervenes in this Saul's life, in this person's life. And he apprehends the man who is going to apprehend others. And there's transformation. Well, you continue to read, and Saul, in his passion, he he comes out preaching and teaching. And before you know it, there are people who are hostile against him. Other Jews, even within the church itself, they reject him. And you think to yourself again, how in the world could God use those kinds of moments for something good? 
And yet God continues to work in Saul's life to prepare him for that day when he will use him as an instrument to the Gentiles. God continued to take those difficult situations and turn them into places of hope, things that would benefit the kingdom. God would continue to do that. And we see it as we look even at Peter's ministry. Remember, Paul has gone back, or Saul has gone back, basically to Tarsus. And it says in verse 31, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. God said, I'm going to keep doing my work. I'm going to keep bringing in believers. There are people who are going to keep joining the church and they're going to be faithful to me. It continues, even though Saul has been removed for the picture from the picture, at least temporarily. And then, as Dr. Luke records these moments of the early church's life, what does he do? He turns to the ministry of Peter. Because God's still working, right? God, God may remove Saul for a moment, but remember, I closed the service last week by saying that God is bigger than one person. And he's bigger than the apostle Paul, as he will become known as. He's bigger than him. Now he's just simply going to turn. Dr. Luke turns our attention to Peter and shows how God continues that ministry and that work. Verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So once again, as you've been reading down through Acts 9, you see another moment where you begin to wonder how in the world God would redeem this situation. I mean, here's a guy that has been paralyzed for eight years. This is not something that just happened last week. It's something that he's been facing. He, he's, he's faced the disappointment that comes with it. They recognize a virtual hopelessness that has come. And Peter comes to this individual and he he calls in the name of Christ for this individual to be healed. Again, once again, how God takes that difficulty and he uses it to demonstrate his power and his glory. Aren't you grateful tonight? Aren't you grateful tonight that God intervenes in such a way And that he gives us that sense of hope. That he gives us a sense that here we are in a hopeless situation. And yet, through his name and his authority, we can have hope. See, I think that's one of the most incredible things that we have in our Christian existence. Is the hope that he gives us in these kinds of moments. Too many of us are practical atheists, I think. I think too many of us 
we look at the situations that we face and they're so overwhelming to us that we just simply accept them the way they are and we dismiss God's intervention within those moments. I remember, um, <clears throat> I remember being in Picayune and getting a call that one of my church members, uh, literally the neighbor to the church itself, was being taken to the hospital there in Picayune. I went over and I saw his uh, wife, Tommy Lou, because you, you know like in Picayune they all have double names. Johnny Lou played the organ. Margaret Lynn played the piano. Uh, I had Sarah Jane and Margaret Ann and Tommy Lou and you get the picture, right? So I came in and there was Tommy Lou. She was standing there by her husband's bed. When I had come in, the EMS workers had told me I knew them and they probably had broken some type of HIPAA even back then. They probably had broken it, but they had said to me, Brother Reggie, there's not much hope here. And uh, it was, there were about 15 minutes there where we don't think that he got oxygen to the brain. And I had had that sobering uh, experience before I walked in the room. So when I went in, I prayed for Shell, and Tommy Lou looked at me and she said, Brother Reggie, is there any hope? Is there any hope? And now here I am as the pastor, young pastor back then, where I was able to try to help this family navigate these moments. And I stood there almost not knowing what to say. I mean, all of a sudden, these quick things go through my mind like, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus and I believe in hope, but, but also I don't want to give her a false sense of expectation and they've told me certain things and probably not going to happen. And I remember struggling inside. I remember going through this wrestling match inwardly about how I should respond. You ever been there before? I'm out on a limb here by myself. And I was just, I was just kind of struggling with it. And of course, as a pastor, I came up with a very political kind of answer, you know, where I affirmed the hope, but at the same time, I will be honest with you, I didn't think he was going to make it. I, I was trying to prepare her for those moments. That experience has always weighed in my mind and has helped me refine. It's helped me define what I believe about God and hope that we have. And to be reminded as a believer, yes, I have hope and anticipation that God brings healing now. And also recognizing that God brings for the believer ultimate healing when we stand before his presence. And living in that reality. Now, may I say to you, that God used that in my life because about three days later, Shell was talking. 
And about two, week, two weeks later, Shell was on that famous lawnmower of his, mowing the grass right in front of the church. And I had to confess, what do I know? Because we live in the midst of a God who is able to do more than we could ever imagine. And I've learned that when I pray, that I pray expecting that God would intervene in his own way. And knowing by his power that he can still bring healing in individuals' lives. And notice here in this passage, basically what Peter is doing, what the early church is doing, is carrying out the ministry of Jesus. Dr. Luke, in his gospel, tells us what the Father does through the one, Jesus Christ. Dr. Luke, in the book of Acts, shows us what the Father does through the many called the church. And he is showing that continued ministry. I mean, basically, as you hear, as you hear of this healing, you've got to think back to the many healings that Jesus performed and how this was just a continued work of God. How God and his power was continuing to move the church forward and allow them to participate in ministry and in mission. And for us today, as we go through our lives, we should recognize that God's power is still just as real and that he uses us. Now, I'm not saying to you that I can walk into a, into a, a hospital room and lay my hands upon somebody and they're just... But, but I'll say this to you. When I pray for an individual, when you pray for an individual... I think there should be an expectation that God would listen and hear our prayers because God still heals individuals this day. You don't believe me? I think we could look around tonight and see obvious testimonies. I got some friends here tonight. Um, the Boyd family sitting up here from Zachary, Louisiana. I thought they were friends. Um... Uh, They called me and told me they were coming up today, but they're really, I think there was the mention that they were coming up to see Jocelyn, and they wanted to clarify it, Jocelyn, Jocelyn, everybody didn't see you that Sunday I had you stand up, but did you just wave at everybody or so? Who's your favorite preacher? I love hearing it, I love hearing it, you're a sweet, sweet girl, very truthful girl, very sweet girl. But they were coming up to see her and, and, and spend the night or so. And I was thinking about, the, I was reading through this passage, obviously, again, and thinking about this healing and how God works. And, and while there are so many different testimonies that we could share here, I, I was thinking back a few years, uh, Shelly, when you were in the hospital and uh, there was a procedure and then there was the complications and you were in ICU, and there was some moments where we had some touch-and-go times. I was thinking back over that, and I said, you know, again, you've got to believe, I believe that it was through God's intervention, physical touch, healing, that 
Shelley's here with us tonight. I still believe in that. And that is the reason, as I said, we have hope. I mean, it doesn't seem like you could find much comfort in looking at this man who has been paralyzed for eight years. It it, it wouldn't seem possible that somehow something good could come out of that. And yet, through God's power working through Peter's life and the authority of Jesus Christ that is demonstrated, healing takes place. And in that Jesus-like fashion, Peter looks and he says, Arise, arise and make your bed. Healing is accomplished. He arose immediately. I always love those kinds of um, reflections to remind us that it, in the authority of Christ, that healing is immediate. It's, it's not happenstance. It is through the power of God. And so all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Because remember, when you're looking at Jesus' ministry, when you're looking at the church's ministry, yes, each one should be concerned about the individual person. I mean, I believe God loved Aeneas and he was wanting to bring healing to him. But there was another purpose for these healings. The purpose for God's demonstration of power was to bring people into a saving knowledge of Christ. Because it's not just about healing somebody's physical body. The message of Christ is about spiritual healing. So when God would work, he would work with the intent of bringing individuals to a closer relationship with him. People who would turn to him. Well, the story continues as Dr. Luke gives it to us. Verse 36, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So he paints the picture of this lady who was very benevolent in her relationships. She was, she was about doing good and helping other individuals. And it says in verse 37, but it happened. Notice how Dr. Luke phrases that. It happened. And that's usually the way these things come upon us. They just happen. Just as today, families experienced that moment where it just happened. It just happened, Dr. Luke said, in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, as the custom was, they laid her in an upper room. And since little was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them, how she had taken care of the widows, and how they were showing him how she had ministered to them. 
verse 40. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. (laughs) The power of God once again displayed. You want to talk about hopelessness? Tabitha, Dorcas, her body, her physical body was dead. And yet, we are reminded that even though the physical body may be dead, even in this moment, we're reminded that God is greater than death itself. And what happens, you have almost a replay, if you will. I say a replay because as the reader's We're working through this passage. I believe that their minds were taken back directly to Jesus. And you remember the touch he gave. The healing, resurrection touch that he gave to Jairus' daughter. When he had put those out and when he had brought healing. Literally, if you were to live in that Aramaic world and hear that language, you, you, would, you would have heard the similarity so clearly. Jesus said something like, Talitha kum. That's what he had said. Little girl, arise. Now, here, Peter says what? Tabitha kum. Tabitha, arise. One consonant difference. One constant, one letter different. I'm sorry, but you can't help but see the parallels. You can't help but to see the likeness of Peter as he is carrying out the ministry of Jesus. I told you this morning that one of the unique characteristics of Luke is the emphasis upon the Spirit of God in Jesus' life. You can't help but miss it as you read through about how the power of the Spirit was assisting Jesus, guiding Him and directing Him, how God was working in power. And it was a powerful time. I mean, really, the people of Israel had not known such power since the days of Elijah and Elijah. At least not the manifestation of power like they had since the days of Elijah and Elisha, who also had performed such feats as the Spirit ministered through them. So they had gone all that time, and then Jesus had come. They had seen manifestation of the Spirit and the power of God in their lives over and over and over. So when Jesus ascends into heaven, questions linger. And one question may have been something like, are we going to be able to carry out and do the things that Jesus did and that Jesus wanted us to do? Remember again this morning, I think this is where some of you faded out. 
But remember where I said that Jesus had looked at his disciples and said, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. That was the purpose, and that was the plan. So they may have been thinking, can we do it? I mean, how, how can we accomplish these things? And now, as the Spirit has descended, as the Spirit has indwelled them, as the Spirit has empowered them, they are able to do the work and the ministry and the mission that Jesus himself started. Almost down to the very circumstance and event, they're able to perform this work. Well, it says, she opened her eyes, she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when she had called the saints and widows, when he had called them, he presented her alive. It became known throughout all Joppa. Oh, and note this. What did I say? The purpose is not just to touch an individual's life and bring healing or resurrection. It says, and many believed on the Lord. Many believed on the Lord. (laughs) The great manifestation of the power had drawn people to a saving faith. Well, maybe God is... No, not maybe. God has his way of working and even allowing messages to be studied and preached in his own timing. And maybe, I must admit to you tonight, maybe none of this personally resonates with you. But for me coming here tonight, leaving the side of a grieving family, communicating with another grieving family, reminded this week of the different funerals that I have attended, or I've participated in, for me at least, reading through, hey, just reading through another healing story, reading through another resurrection story, has reminded me of the hope I have in Him. And the power I have in Him. And knowing that there are moments when that power seems to be disguised and yet to know one day the costumes will be taken off and the true power and authority of Christ will be seen. And for me, that gives me so much strength and encouragement as a pastor, as a believer, that our God can overcome, our God can be present to bring us through such trial and difficulty 
and heartache. That's the God we serve. He has the power to capture the will of a violent rebel named Saul. He is a God that has the power to take care of that Saul and protect his life. He is the one that has the power to work through another disciple, a man named Peter, to to bring healing and to bring resurrection. He is the same God of Saul. He is the God of Peter. Listen, he is the God of Reggie. He is the God of your life. He is the God of power and strength. And he has called us to put our faith in him and to trust in him. And when that power is manifest, to declare it to everybody that we come in contact with, the power and the glory of God, and to invite them to trust Him as well. That is the message, that is the story that Dr. Luke conveys. And is the reality, is the reality that we can live with each and every day of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, again, I thank you for how you take your word in your scripture at just the right moment and use it in just the right way. And God, tonight... I pray that we would be more than people who give verbal assent to your power. Lord, I pray that we would be more than simple, simply practical atheists. I pray that we would believe. I pray that we would trust. I pray that we would expect to see your glory demonstrated even in the most difficult days of our lives. God, we pray as a church that we would see your healing power. We pray that we would see your resurrection power. We pray that you would remind us that even through sickness and maybe even death of the believer, we pray that you would still give us a sense of victory and celebration. Because your son, the Lord Jesus, Lord, he secured that victory we so desperately needed. Thank you, Lord, for that. We celebrate it tonight. We pray it would infuse, you would infuse our spirits with that sense of power and presence. We pray it it in the authoritative name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? So we have this time of invitation. Maybe it's a moment for you to come pray at the altar or maybe go with somebody else and just lift them up or maybe whatever it is, you listen to God and you be responsive to Him tonight in this place.